0: If you have a child who has an IEP, well, then you know the struggles of getting them the right support. And that's why you need to hear from Pete Wright from Wright's Law. Hi, I'm Dr. Roseanne and I'm a mental health trailblazer. And join me as we have real conversations about real solutions to kids' problems. And today we're talking about IEP, what you need to know, and what are the common mistakes that parents make with the absolute leader in special education advocacy, Pete Wright from rightslaw.com. So let's dive in. Hi, everybody. This is It's Gonna Be Okay with Dr. Roseanne. And this is gonna go down as one of the most special episodes I've ever done because if you don't know about my friend, he right. He is. I was trying to explain who you are to my dyslexic child, and I was like, I am literally having the lone wolf, the man, the myth, the legend of all things special education. That's how we think of you because you really have reshaped what we know about how to be our child's best advocate through your work. And you know, for anybody who's has a child in special education. I learned about you, of course, from your amazing website, rightslaw.com, but From Emotions to Advocacy is my first introduction to you. So we're going to be talking about the most common mistakes parents make in IEP meetings. This is a can't miss episode with my friend, Pete Wright. And again, rightslaw.com. if you don't have that bookmarked on your computer... Go ahead and do that. And he just revised his book, Rights Law, Special Education Law. It's the third edition written by Pete and Pam. Right. We can't forget your better half. Right. And you can go to rightslaw.com and get that. That is where you buy that book. And if you haven't gone to hear Pete live in any of his trainings, he's like, he's out there. He's a road warrior training schools parent organizations live. So please do that and and listen. And if you're new to me and you're just learning and you want to know more about how you can help your child's brain be optimized without medications, go to drrosanne.com forward slash group to dive into all things natural and so that we can help our kids learn, pay attention, and how about love themselves. So welcome, my friend, Pete Wright. We're going to be talking about common mistakes. So, um, and you've been doing this a long time, and really, you literally have helped millions of people. So you have a special place in a lot of the hearts of moms and dads. Maybe not in every educators, but...
1: Maybe not. Maybe not.
0: (laughs) And just so everybody, if people don't know Pete, I'm going to tell you that besides just being this amazing human being, he's really funny and he has a joy for life. He's actually a dyslexic. And I know when I heard your story, your mom, you know, they basically said, forget about this kid. he can't learn.
1: D.C. Public Schools told my, my parents back in kindergarten that I was uneducable, male retarded, emotionally disturbed, and really not much could be done about it. But and your mom
0: that, said, forget about it. This well, kid's
1: smart. They went out and got uh, a top-of-the-line psychoeducational evaluation of me from George Washington University, and those evaluators met with my parents and said that I had strephosymbolia and an acute hyperkinetic disorder. Acute hyperkinetic disorder, well, today ADD, ADHD, strephosymbolia, twisted symbols, also known at that time as word blindness, Today, dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, and they told my parents that that they had to find someone who was highly trained in the Orton-Gillingham approach. This was about 1951, who was highly trained in Orton-Gillingham to teach me how to read my spell, do arithmetic, because I was completely illiterate, but I was very bright. And Diana Hanbury King was my tutor for two years and wanted to get me to age and grade level. I mean, she, she did not want to get me to age and grade level. She wanted to get me two years above in all domains. And I was given another comprehensive psychoeducational in the sixth grade. And in all domains, I was I scored at the eighth grade level or higher than that. So I am your adult dyslexic. That is the product of intense early intervention from two individuals Diane Hamburg King and Roger Saunders who turned out to be basically world famous and the, the best in in the history of the Orton-Gillingham approach that was in began in, in the mid 1930s and is, is out there today changing lives for kids with dyslexia
0: and you know what's so powerful about that story you know being a mom of two special needs kids like you know, and you are too, right? You have a dyslexic child too, correct?
1: Uh, uh, both my boys were, were identified as having a LT, uh, had their issues, and both of them are very, very successful attorneys. And one, good human one, one had an IEP for six months and I yanked him out of it because it was garbage. I did get a private evaluation, but I never shared it with the school. Instead, I ended up getting the services for him outside of the, of the school. And, things and so great.
0: as every worried parent who's listening or watching, we always think what's going to happen to our kids. And you are a testament to one tough mother who said, I'm not listening to this. I'm going to trust my gut. My kid is bright. My kid is capable. He needs the right intervention at the right time. And I think that's so important. I I say that all the time, you know, just because your kid has an IEP doesn't mean it's the right IEP and it's giving your child what they need. And so in this conversation, right, I want to talk about what are common mistakes parents make in IEP meetings, which are, we've a long list of them, (laughs) but we're going to dive into a few so that people get an get some value because it's very overwhelming. It's scary. When I used to do psychoed, neuropsych testing, I would prepare people for version A of the meeting, version B, and version C. Basically, it was like all the war plans laid out. And I don't mean war plans. like You just had to know. It's either going to go right, it's going to go real wrong, or somewhere in between. And the parents were like, do we really need this kind of preparation? I was like, this is like, Really important, and every parent was grateful that we did. But this is scary stuff. There we're not lawyers. You've done so many beautiful things. You have so many resources for parents to be advocates. But what are common mistakes parents make in an IEP meeting?
1: I, I began practicing law in April of 1978. The, this law was passed in 1975. But when I was in law school, I was following it as it went through Congress. So since 1978, I've been meeting with parents uh, with regard to special ed issues. And when parents would come in to see me and they had uh, an IEP meeting coming up and someone told them they needed to consult with an attorney or consult with me. And, and they were really uh, angry and anxious. And typically, parents consulted with me because they did have some, some anger within them, feeling like their child had gotten the short end of the stick and they were not being treated right. And sometimes the parents would, would come in and have a handle on what the law required, and other times they would be clueless. But what I found uh, so common with so many was that they wanted the school district to give their child a program that is best for their child. What is best? And they would say, you know, I want what is best for my child. And, of course, as parents, we all do. But if you say that at a meeting, you have now closed the door to your child getting quality services because by law, by case law, by statute, your child is not entitled to what is best, your child's only entitled to a, what's called a free, appropriate public education. Safe. And what does the word "appropriate" mean? Well, different things to different people, but it is certainly not the word "best." And so, when parents come out with that kind of a concept, or even an evaluator writes in their report, the private sector report writes that, well, ideally, this child should receive Applied Behavioral Analysis (ABA) and/or uh, should receive or Gillingham, whatever else. When they say ideally. That closes the door also because the, the uh, child is not entitled to that. So that's the, one of the big things that parents have to understand. Don't ever, ever use that. When parents would use that in a meeting with me in my office, and when I met with parents, it was across a, a conference room table. I didn't sit behind a desk. We were at a table because we had papers that screwed it. We're meeting with me, talking, and then they would say, I just, uh, I, I just want what's best. As soon as they did that, i stop. i put my hand up, right? I'd reach my hand across the, the table and right to, almost to their face, I wanted to create a, a visceral gut reaction to that word best. I wanted it paired with somebody coming and putting their hand in their face and so that they stopped saying it before it even came out of the mouth because they knew that was a four-letter word. In, in Spanish and I love then, it. It's a four-letter <laughs> word. Best is a four-letter word. If you want to get quality service in spiritual child, that's a four-letter word. Don't ever use that. And then, Talk
0: about, for people that don't understand what faith is, free and appropriate education. You know I always put that in my reports. And I would educate my parents to throw that out in a meeting because that usually make people kind of rustle, get a little nervous, like they know too much. Talk about what faith is and why it's so important because really what you're saying is when we say the words best, we're saying that we're holding this bar so high when really the law says it's free and appropriate education, which is different. Explain right. what that means so parents can understand that.
1: That was the first case the U.S. Supreme Court had in regard to special ed issues. It was called the Rowley case, and the court had to wrestle with, try to define the word appropriate. And the court did it. At the same time, now we had a case... It came out in 2017 where Chief Justice Roberts was the author of the decision, and he talked about faith, and he expanded the original mindset, the original definition to he talked about taking into account the child's potential. Now, the word potential was also never used. You couldn't say, I want my child to reach his or her potential, but Chief Justice Roberts did that. So the word appropriate under faith, that word is evolving now with case law because of what Chief Justice Justice Roberts wrote. To understand what, what it means, you have to go back to the purpose of the law. And this is in, in the United States Code, Title 20, USC 1400, subsection D. And it says basically to prepare the child for further education, employment, and independent living. That's the purpose of the special ed law to help the child become economically self sufficient. So, those are the key concepts. So what does fake mean for my child? Well, it depends upon what is the nature of my child's disability. Does my child have a significant expressive speech disorder? or receptive language disorder, or is my child having difficulty reading uh, text in a book or in the newspaper, perhaps dyslexia, or does my child uh, reverse their spoken speech, and and are are concepts reversed, and when they write something, do they reverse the letters B, D, P, and Q, was and saw? Uh, when they are reading something or with dyscalculia, uh, we have issues with adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing, dysgraphia, graphomotor, written language. And if a kid has has a common a, has some graphomotor issues and some dyscalculia issues, try to watch that child do a long division problem with three numbers divided into six numbers and have them write that out and watch how everything flows sideways all over the place and jam in, uh, boom, right away. That, to me, is is a marker. So so the word appropriate, then, what is going on with the kid? What is it? What Where's the, the deficit? What's tripping the kid up? That's what that I've got to know. Uh, when I got involved in the case, I had to have a really good understanding. Now, the parents would come in and tell me it's this and it's that, but I went to the test scores to the data. I wanted to see what the standardized educational achievement test uh, score showed. Also, I wanted to see what the IQ test showed in terms of processing issues so that I could have a good handle because many times parents were going after the wrong thing. And if they got what they were going after, that would have slowed down the kid's ability to get quality services. And, and I can give you a, uh, an example. Well, of, and if, that's,
0: oh, And let's recap that because that's right. really important. Like, you know, an IEP, the I stands for individualized. And that means, you know, we all are unique and the kids are unique. So one kid with ADHD isn't going to look like another kid with ADHD. One dyslexic isn't going to look exactly like the other dyslexic. And depending on their assets and deficits, right, their strengths and, and needs, right, that's what we have to really look at their unique needs. And I right. think one of the things as you're talking about appropriate, it's what do we need to remediate, right? What, what accommodations need to be put into? Place as well. And then what happens in a lot of meetings is they come at you, Pete, and they say, Well, here's the program. Before you even talk about those individual needs, sometimes they say this is what's best before we've even reviewed the data, right? And I think right. parents don't know what that power is because faith is a two way street. And I love that you say, you know, never saying what is best is a mistake. It's a four-letter word. I'm going to remember that. That's that's true because parents have to understand what's appropriate for their child and also know that what is not given to you on the lunch menu, there might be another menu that you just don't know about, right? We have to talk about the needs before we design the program.
1: That's right. Absolutely. That's the whole issue, the educational needs. And, and, and in the law, it talks about having to do an evaluation of a child and as a part of the evaluation, its its purpose is, is twofold. One, to determine if a child is or is not eligible for an IEP. In other words, does the child have a disability that adversely affects educational performance such that the child needs special education and related services? Because having a disability doesn't mean you're eligible for an IEP. You might be right. uh, entitled to protections under 504, 504 plan, but that's different. The other part of the statute, in the evaluation statute, it talks about not just determining eligibility, but to determine the child's educational needs for purposes of preparation of the IEP. And that's the key. What exactly this child has uh, is really slow in reading. All right. So he has a reading disability. Okay. Well, now, wait a minute. Break it down. Is it reading, silent reading? If the child reads a passage, a, a l- long, uh, lengthy, detailed uh, passage of text and understands everything and, and gets a really high score on the content. Uh, then there's not necessarily a silent reading disability, but have the child read it out loud. Boom, falls down and then stumbles and, and uh, all kinds of issues and, and emotional over, if the kid's bright, emotional overlay kicks in. The kid feels dumb and stupid. Of course, um, and, and so on. So, yeah, you know, it's it's not you can't simplify it. Well, he's got a problem with reading, or he's got a problem with math, or written language, or he's got a problem with expressive speech, or his orthopedic impairment, whatever else it might be. You got to break it down, break it way yeah. down into. And the that's script. what the
0: data does, right? The data yes. is so powerful. Yes. I mean, I love data; that's my love language. But <laughs> it should be parents, and they don't always know what it is. So I know that you feel that there are other mistakes that parents make. What's another common mistake that really interferes with kids getting free and appropriate services?
1: Really? Well, right up there with uh, asking or pushing for what's best. The other one is parents getting a bit of an understanding of the law, recognizing what the school is doing, it is not within the law. It's outside the law. It borderline is is illegal. They're violating the law or whatever else. And parent goes in and says, I know the law. This is what it says. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And parents come in and push the law and assert it. That is just about uh, as damaging as the, using the word best. Because once that happens, parents, uh, not parents, school officials' arms will cross. They'll lean back in the table. The walls will go up and everything your parent says is not heard. They will stop hearing anything. Uh, Instead, they're thinking about, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, we need to contact the school board attorney and just give them a heads up. Uh, Apparently, he was talking about the law. And and so all the wagons are going to get in a circle and you're going to lose it, even if you haven't dead to rights. And it's black and white. There's no no wiggle room about it. You got them cold. Still, you go in and do that. You close the door to getting quality services.
0: Common state pushing the law too hard, right? I I don't know what else to say it. But Pete, what do you do when it's like? I'm sure parents are like, "Oh my gosh, what is he talking about? What do they do?" Because let's let's face it, whether in in and unintentionally or in, I've been in situations absolutely it's intentional because we FERPA and we found lots of emails that it right. was intentional. but what happens when people violate the law and and a child is really struggling? What do parents do? What do you uh, feel like is the best course of action?
1: I'll give you an example. I was, I was in, in Hartford uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I did one of my live programs, a live six-hour program. A parent came up to me during the lunch break and, and, and went through some factual issues. And very clearly, the school district had broken the law on several things. And the parent wanted to know, what could they do to the school district now because they broke the law? And I said, well, you know, you, 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 your understanding is correct. Uh, but it's going to be your word against their word, and they will go back and clean up some of the books once they understand you coming after them. Some of the stuff may, may disappear. Well, we can't let them get away with this. Well, you know, history repeats itself, and they will do it again. If you don't give them a heads up to that, if, if you give them a heads up right now that you, you're onto them, then they'll be cautious about it, and it'll, things will evolve in a slightly different way, and you won't recognize it until much later. But when there are clear legal violations that are sufficient enough to uh, adversely affect the kids uh, education procedural violations in and of themselves if they don't amount to uh, uh, edu- substantial loss of educational opportunities then are really n- are, are, are not ruled upon by courts they stay away from that They're, and the law says that it provides pr- it explains that but where there is a, a loss of educational services, educational opportunity, and you know that this is their pattern, then don't nail them on what they already did. Because you're gonna be fighting a historical battle. Instead, if you know that the IEP is, is not appropriate and they're they're locking down on it, and you know that such and such program, let's say that for what I had in my practice in Richmond, the new community school was a great private special ed school that specializes in using the Orton-Gillingham approach. And so we would use that. I would help the parents structure it so that we would use the school district's violation of the law to open the door to the public school paying tuition for the new community school. Then we had to almost like lay traps, you know, but lock it all up because it's one person's word against another. So what, if it's not in writing, it wasn't said. So parents then would start writing. Thank you letters after the IEP meeting, thank you for explaining to me that you're unable to provide my child with an intense one-on-one educational program with my child's reading schools. My child has an IQ, as we all know, it's 115, about the 84th percent level, and is reading Five years below age and grade level at the second grade, and it's been reading at the second grade level now for the past four years. And, and you explained to me that that was because, uh, he has dyslexia and therefore really can't be expected to learn much more. I appreciate you clarifying that for me, uh, that we, we can't have any expectations any greater than that. If I misunderstood what you said, you know, then, then, then let me know. You lock it up in writing that way and then you so you're starting to build a case and if they don't write a letter to you denying the, oh we never said that he couldn't learn how to read because he has dyslexia and they won't you know, the general rule then you're, you're building the case and then uh, it's kind of like you're setting a trap so don't, so don't, it's, don't not look that,
0: it's not that right common mistake pushing the law too hard it's not we're not saying ignore the law we're not we're saying that when it's historical we don't want to go back and point fingers when it's, if it's not um, directly impacting a child's learning, right? If there right. are errors that are impacting a child's learning, what we want to do is, I like that you said set a trap, <laughs> but you want to document, you don't want to ignore it, but you don't want to come in like you did this, 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 no. because they're going to stop. You want to I always call the play the game. Like you always wanted to make sure you're holding your cards and you're using that information to make sure your child is getting what they need. In that case, through documented letters, you know, asking, I always like to ask stupid questions in meetings and be, and, you know, so ask the questions you already know. So it's documented in That's an IEP right. meeting versus telling them in advance, right? Um <laughs>
1: ask the questions. I call it the five W's plus H plus E. And I had my parents, when they would go into a meeting, they would take a a yellow legal pad, turn the first page over. And in the far upper left or upper right-hand corner, in very small microscopic print, write five W plus H plus E. But then one corner or the other corner, very small. So only they could see it when they're this far away. But someone looking over their shoulder wouldn't see it. And always on the second page, And when they had to get, develop a habit pattern, whenever they got up from the meeting, if there was a break, always turn the front page back so somebody couldn't go skimming through their notes if they were, they forgot. But the five W's plus H plus E, when someone makes a statement and they know that what the person is saying is, is, is really uh, beyond what is, is in the law, who, why, what, when, where, how, and explain. Ask questions starting with one of those seven words. And when a parent is put on the spot, I tell them, stop, don't answer the question. Stop. Think five dollars plus H plus E. You're asked a question, you're put on the spot, and you think, why is my answer to that important right now when what we're concerned about is and then as they start to answer, then you come up with another one real quick, much like your interviewers do on television. Question, question, bang, bang. You know, before you they even answer the first one, you hit them with a the second one. And, and, and when is it this is going to happen? In other words, you, by going that, you're shifting the focus away from whatever they want to get out of you, put it back to them. But you do it in a way that doesn't polarize. And, That's right. It uh, doesn't point fingers or blame. Instead, I'm a little slow sometimes and I get so upset about my child and, and I just worry about what's going to happen because my child can't read at all. And, 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 and he feels so dumb and stupid. And, and I know he's not, but I just don't know. I'm sorry. I don't mean to get everyone here in a meeting. I, I don't mean to take up your lunch hour. I, I know this is hard, but I don't mean to be asking stupid questions, but y- y'all know the law and I don't, and I need you to help. I need your help. My child needs your help. Hard to get I mean, A little
0: emotions, which is pretty easy, is a good idea.
1: In my office with my parents, I had several little things that I did with parents after I, they were comfortable with me. And, and let's assume that, that uh, we were either going to be going to trial litigation or there's going to be a, a heated IEP meeting coming down the road in, in a few weeks. One of the things I, I did with my parents, I got to know them well and I knew their, their soft points. I would hit them with some questions. I'd say, well, let's go ahead and pretend like you're on the stand, you're, uh, you're being examined by the school board attorney. And I would ask them questions. And I would hit them hard and I hit them below the belt with my questions and they would stiffen up. And they're like, I can't believe you asked me that. And, but they would then start to cry. And when they started to do that, they would take their hands and, and start to wipe. i put your hands down. And they would look at me funny like, and, and then I would continue on and then they would take the, and put your hands down. I want you to let the tears build, roll and drip it roll and drip and when my parents got to the point where i was hitting them hard and the tears did build roll and drip and they did not wipe them away that absolutely impacts everybody else in the room it causes all their emotions in the room to build up and feel empathy sadness and feel the pain
0: we need to bring pain. the real person in and you know pete yeah. one of the things if i had a kid that it was old enough I would have them come to the meeting and read a statement. And it's pretty hard, like, especially my dyslexics who were just bright and would be like, I just want to read. You know, I just want to get the right education to help me to read. Like, you know, is really pretty powerful. And like, and there would be teachers crying. Emotions, um, we're always trying to be regulated. We don't want to be emotional angry. We want to show people the impact this is having on us as, as as a family, right. is it, right. you know, when our child, um, every parent is only as happy as their happiest child right. or unhappiest child, however you want to say it, and that it's really helpful for them to see the impact because when there are lawyers or, or directors sometimes, and every school district is different, we're really talking about a meeting when we know there are violations and how do you best handle them? And I love that. Ask
1: questions the five w's plus, e plus h plus e. plus e, and that's we we repeat that uh, concept quite a few times in our book called from emotions to advocacy the one you referred to in the in yeah. the opening, we, we talk about that and yeah. the other thing is i had my parents regularly bring food to the meetings and also i told my parents you're going to change your personality they view you as the the mother from hell who is the, is the warrior bear mama instead new personality will be immersed Personality of Mrs. Manners with Peter Falk, Columbo, always asking questions, and every so often a little angelic touch of Mother Teresa. And when you present That's that, a great way, combination, Pete. All that when it's hard to be angry to someone who maybe isn't totally all together because they ask such stupid questions sometimes. Yeah, uh, but they're not attacking me. Uh, yeah. I don't feel defensive around them. I feel like I almost feel a little bad for them. I want to help take care of them. And when you tap into that codependency need, the educators in the room have your home. When you tap into that codependency need that they may have, even if they are worried about the budget and the financial shortfall, then y- your child's going to be the one to get services and the other child is not. But that's your so- goal.
0: Hey, parents, look, can you turn those? stressful days into moments of calm focus? Well, that's exactly why I created Neurotastic Multimag Brain Formula. It's the brain booster that helps kids and parents stay centered and sharp. It's not magic, it's science, and it's just a spoonful away. Bring the balance with Neurotastic. Go to drrosancom forward slash magnesium to get Special subscribe and save discounts with of course amazing gifts. com forward slash magnesium. So Pete, parents are there, they're in the meeting, there's procedural violations, their kid is not getting a free and appropriate education, uh, they're they're not educationally progressing, they're behind, it's documented and you know, they're asking the questions, they're getting it all documented. You know, now we get Zoom meetings or you're getting it on tape. Always ask in advance, give them at least 48 hours, tell them you want it recorded. I always feel like that's courtesy. Please do that in writing. Do everything in writing, people. I don't care what it is. You have a phone call, do a recap in writing. After. If it wasn't um, not in writing, it was never said. hundred percent, right? Yep. You know, and keep your own documentation, your yeah, own absolutely. journal. Yeah, absolutely. I I carry my book wherever I go. It has dates on it. And I just have the same book. And I always carry my book. And it's in my bag. And I write all my stuff in there. So they go there. Ideally, this is, you know, you're getting an educational advocate. You're getting an attorney. Or maybe you're not. You should always bring somebody with you. Bring a friend. Bring somebody that is there to help you. And even taking their own notes. You come out of that meeting... You got all the data. You got all the information. You still are not getting an IEP that's going to help your child learn. And we're saying we don't want to have, you know, too much of the law. They're using too much of the law. We're coming in hot. Where do they go from there, Pete? Like, not everybody can afford an attorney. Not everybody can afford an advocate, even though in most states um, you can have access. might be on a wait list. There might be free educational advocates. What do people do? The,
1: the the issue so often is the <clears throat> parent doesn't have a good handle on the test scores and the subtest scores on both the educational achievement testing and the IQ testing. So when when parents uh, have been down the road and uh, with the school district and feel like things are not going anywhere, if they had not already done this, they have to go back and do it again. Go back through the test scores, both the standard scores, index scores, subtest scores. And I would go back to the very, very first testing that uh, was used to determine a child was eligible for special ed services. Find the tests that are critical to educational achievement, reading, writing, arithmetic and spelling are the ones I'm always most interested in. Log in the scores, both what the actual scores were, and then convert them over to percentile ranks where it is and do that all the way through the present. And when a parent has done that, they see is the kid going up? Is the kid just unchanged or worse? Is the child falling further and further behind going downhill? And most of most often when a parent would come in to see me. The kid had been going downhill steadily. And uh, for for those that are listening and watching this today who also attended my live programs uh, will remember this one case that I put up on screen that I had where the school district loved the woodcock. And they gave the woodcock to the kid four times uh, from January of 1990 through June of 95. And the score steadily went down each Uh, testing, and the school never looked at the old scores compared to the new scores and continued the same program over and over. And uh, the evidence was right there in front of it. And and the position I took with the hearing officer was, Your Honor, their program damaged the child. Their test scores proved he was damaged by their program. So immediately put the school district on the defensive, and that was a tuition assistance, tuition reimbursement case. So again, going back to this scenario, what do parents do? Have a parent go through the testing, again, refresh their memory, log it all in, see what the pattern is, where the slide is, and where the issues are that are, have been, got, gotten worse, that are, that are most problematic. And then I would see parents having difficulty getting anywhere with the school district at that point. We'll make that assumption. Then I would see about getting a private sector evaluation, from someone who's skilled in that particular area, because then parent knows what area to look at. You know, is it... Uh, educational achievement in terms of reading skills, or is it expressive speech? Let, what is or is it, it a phonological word? problem? You know, that, like absolutely, okay. yes. And so breaking down and then finding out, and usually the in the community, the various dis- different disability organizations, particularly the people who are the president and the assistant and, and and who founded it, will know who in that community who does really good evaluations, who to stay away from and targeting particular skills and if there's even a private special ed school in in the community they may well have a sense as to who who to go to so you want to find someone that really knows their stuff and have that person do a workup that's less expensive than hiring a lawyer and that gives you the evidence It's, it's kind of like you're going to go on a weight loss program and to do that if you really really are serious about it you'll Get your weight or regular interviews, whether it's daily or, or twice a week or, or weekly, but you're going to have a regular log of your weight. And if you're really serious about it, you'll keep a regular log of your cal- calories, your daily intake, too. Yeah. But that's. So that's uh, we
0: can analyze <laughs> the data, and just so parents know, particularly when we, you know, so many kids are in special education because of reading problems. So I talk a lot about reading problems, but they can be there for autism. They can be there for social skills. They can be there for uh, attention issues. There's a whole emotional issues, whatever it is. But when it comes to data, you know, one of the things that I think people don't realize exactly what you said when you get a report, it almost never includes previous testing. You can take, you know, an Excel spreadsheet, a Google sheet. You can do this yourself. You don't need anybody else to do it. Take all their testing and plot it out. And the thing that you also need to know is not just what your child is doing, whether it's standardized testing or school testing, you need to find out what are the other kids doing? What are they supposed to be doing? So your child could be making progress, but not at a trajectory that's going to keep them up to par with their peers. So many times my experience as a former independent evaluator, please don't call me for an eval, I'm not doing it. And (laughs) it's been like five years now. When people get these evaluations they just don't understand how much their child is sliding they understand that they're not learning at a normal rate but they really don't understand that the program can't get them to what they need to so i sure. love that advice yes, about sure. just plotting the data yourself an independent evaluation an iee is different than a school evaluate you know getting your totally. own private totally
1: evaluation. Different. Yeah. Different. Yeah. And, and so many of the school districts uh, in, in a particular area that's uh, the specific to that child's mm-hmm. disability, school districts may not have the tests that will zoom in. That's right. They don't have the budget for it. They haven't purchased it. So it's not over in central and office. They probably uh, don't uh, have the training. And, and, that was my experience.
0: They didn't understand it. You're not even checking for the English language combinations. Right, How can right. you say your program is working or not? Like you're not evaluating whether your program is working. You're only using like general measures, sort of like blood pressure. Your blood pressure is off. You don't know what's wrong. You have to do a deeper look as to why your blood pressure is, is high. So, yeah. you know, a lot of times that's an aha moment. I love talking about testing and I think that it is people don't realize all the forms of data, right? So we have standardized testing. We have school based testing. You have your notes. You have anecdotal things. You have, um, I used to put in samples of kids writing anything that I could get that could, you know, quantify it in some way, in some visual way. These are all data points that help you versus you saying X, Y, and Z, even to, to do... I've had parents take, measure how long it took a child to do their homework and just to understand, okay, this is what they could do. And this is why they were having a hard time. Maybe it's an attention problem. Maybe it's they don't understand it. So data can be varied and it's your friend. You don't have to just rely on the school's data. I think that's one of the no. biggest mistakes I see parents
1: make. Right? If, if a kid has a disability in this unique area and they don't have the ability to serve the child for this unique area, then they may never evaluate the child for that unique Area because they can't do anything about it. So there's no test data on that. And that's why you, you, I would want to go private. And, and, yeah. and then when we got to private, I would have my private evaluators who issued the report go to the IEP meetings. I did not, as an attorney, I rarely went to IEP meetings. When I did, I knew then that meant the school board attorney was going to go and the case was just going to go up, up, up. We really wanted to get worked out without having it to go up, up, up. So I stayed away, but I trained my parent on how to handle the meeting and and what to do, what not to do, and and to pay attention to the body language of everybody in the room. But I would have my evaluator go and my evaluator would typically fight me on it. No, I don't want to go. I'm going to have to charge the parents X number of dollars to do it. And they won't listen to me anyway. It'll be a waste of time. I, I would tell my evaluator that you are not going to go and present your dissertation. It's not like a dissertation defense at all. You are a salesperson. You are in marketing and sales now and you are going to sell the people in that room why your testing nailed it and what the results of that testing show that this is what is, and this is the issue and this is what needs to be done. And you're going to help them understand why and help them become convinced. This is what the kid needs because you're in sales and marketing, not defending an approach. And, most always, my private evaluator would argue with me about going. And but, well, it's but- a really
0: uncomfortable thing. I mean, when I go, oh, yeah. Pete, I would go in and say, "Did everybody read my evaluation?" And they almost everybody would say yes.
1: Yeah, say yes, but they didn't. <laughs>
0: and so then I would say, "Well, then I don't need to go over it in detail." So we, you know, George has this, this, and this, and I, the data substantiates it, as well as your data substantiate it. So this is what I recommend. You know, I wouldn't even do that. I'd. I'd start asking questions, questions, questions. And then I'd be like, wow, I'm so glad we're in agreement that he needs- Five W's plus (laughs) H plus C, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And and, and always attorney and I, we'd always pretend, like if there was an attorney and advocate, we'd pretend like we don't know each other either. So yes, we went on vacations together. You just have to get, people are so afraid, but you're right, you do have to sell it. And it's hard. And parents can do this too. I want parents to be empowered by this. So here's what I want to say. I know everybody's loving this conversation and we're going to continue this conversation. And if you want to hear more of this conversation, you've got to join our ComBrain community to hear more because we're going to keep going. And Pete is going to talk about a lot more of the common mistakes make so that one, you can prevent your kid from suffering another day and two it's a lot less expensive than hiring an attorney and pete's books dive into all of the ways that you can be your child's best advocate i can't recommend it more i don't think i ever wrote a report that didn't say go on to rightslaw.com it was that important It was that empowering i never had a parent who didn't use it if you want to hear more of this conversation and we're going to dive into many more reasons why children do not get the appropriate education free and appropriate education that they need go to dr roseanne forward slash community it's going to be in the show notes if you're watching us it's there and join us further if you've been enjoying us and you're stopping here please know that pete wright is a trailblazer go to rightslaw.com. he's amazing And you won't regret it because this is what your child needs. And unfortunately, in today's times, children are in crisis, in mental health crisis, and it is spread thin, the resources. But that doesn't mean because resources are spread thin that your child should be denied a free and appropriate education. I can't say that enough. It's a matter of understanding what your child needs. And the data really can help. And join us for this continued conversation, and we'll talk way more about ways to not just empower you, but really give you the resources that you need to help your child thrive. Parenting is hard, and there are so many ups and downs, and I think today you got to hear about many ways you can support your child's education, and I hope Pete left you feeling inspired and empowered, and you kick kicking that fear to the curb. So just know that no matter what's going on with your child and your family, it's going to be okay when you take that step towards getting your child the right educational support.